Ready for preaching? Say amen. amen. Mark chapter four. Turn there in your Bible. Mark chapter number four. As we continue our study for this gospel, finding and following Jesus. The title of the message today is the soil of your heart. The first two verses of Mark chapter four. Give us some context. Tell us where Jesus is at in his ministry. I want to read those and jump right in. Look at verse one and two. And he that's Jesus began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude is by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. In, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is, is at a familiar place where he ministered often. That's the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And, and he was surrounded not just by hundreds of people, but by thousands of people. By this time, as we talked about last Sunday, his, his popularity had reached its peak and, and thousands of people were pressing into him, following him from town to town and region to region so they could have their physical needs met. But, but remember, as we've discussed all through this gospel, Jesus didn't come to the earth to meet physical needs. He came to establish his kingdom, which means that he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to meet the spiritual needs of people. And so whenever he, he would get this flock of people around him, he, he, he always met their physical needs be, because he used that as, as a means to an end, but he wanted to get to their heart. And so he took that opportunity to teach and preach the gospel to him, and that's what's happening in Mark 4. The text says that he got in a boat, he pushed off into the water a little bit to create some space to help his voice carry a little bit more, and he began to teach. And, and Jesus had an advantage when it came to teaching because he was God which meant that he knew the hearts of those he was speaking to. And what Jesus knew about their hearts, and we're going to find out in a moment, is that the hearts of the majority in the crowd this day were not right. They were hard. They were, they were calloused to his teachings. You see, the crowds tended to endure the preaching time so they could get to the real fun, and that was the miracles of Jesus. These crowds tended to come for the entertainment, not the sermon. And Jesus was noticing this. And to him, this wasn't a problem with their attention span. To Jesus, this was a problem with their heart. So in response to the condition of their hearts, which he knew, he, he decided to use a certain teaching technique that he called a parable. Well, what's a parable? Well, the word means this, to set something alongside something else. That's what a parable means. A word that is closely related to the word parable is the word parallel. Jesus would then take an earthly truth and he would lay it parallel or alongside a spiritual truth. Now we'll talk more about the purpose of, a, of this teaching technique in a moment. But the parable that we read here in chapter 4 and we're about to read is actually one of the most familiar parables of Jesus. It's, it's the parable of the sower and the soil. But I want you to remember something. That even though you might have heard this story before and even read this story before, the people on the shore at the Sea of Galilee have never heard it before. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to wipe your memory clean of this parable. I want you to act like you're hearing it for the first time. I want you to imagine that you are there on the shore at the Sea of Galilee and you're listening to Jesus teach on this day. Can you put, put that in your mind's eye for a moment? Imagine you're wearing your, your Middle Eastern designer robe. You, you've got on your full leather Birkenstock sandals. You're wearing your trucker turban. And here's the parable. 
Hearken, verse 3. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So the parable in and of itself really is, is simple. Jesus was describing something that, that anybody listening to him on this day would have clearly understood. It's simply a farmer who's casting seed on the ground and the seed is following, falling on, on these various types of soil. Now, if you listen to this parable, and if you, if you just heard me read this parable through the lens of, of modern farming techniques, you're probably thinking, what an irresponsible farmer. Why would he throw seed onto the soil, just any soil, especially soil that wouldn't yield a result? Why didn't he first plow the field? Why didn't he shape the rows for cultivation? Why didn't he carefully plant the seed in good soil? Here's why. Because farmers back then would disperse their seed with their hand. So they'd wear a, a big bag over their shoulder full of seed and they would be walking through this field and they would, they, they would grab a handful of seed and they would throw it out like that. Then they would grab another handful of seed and they would throw it out like that. And then they would plow the ground after they threw out the seed in order to work the seed into the soil. So the people who were listening at the Sea of Galilee on this day, they wouldn't have been shocked. This was common. They would have understood that there was a chance for some of that farmer's seed to bounce from the good soil onto the bad soil, like, like a pathway where people would walk because the farmer threw it out by hand, so it's not going to be accurate all the time. And, and this seed would obviously not germinate because the soil that it would fall on would be so hard packed that it couldn't penetrate the soil. And then the birds would come and steal the seed. That was common. Then these people would understand that there would be some, feet, some seed that fell on soil that, that had this thin layer of rocks just underneath the dirt that the farmer couldn't see because he didn't plow the soil until after he threw the seed. And so the seed would, would quickly germinate because it had a thin layer of soil above the rocks, but it couldn't grow deep enough roots to stay alive because the rocks just beneath it would prevent its growth. Common. Then there would be some seed that, that fell on, on, on good soil, but around that good soil was a lot of bad soil, a lot of thorns and thistles and weeds, and, and the weeds would choke out the seed and prevent it from growing. Very common. But to every farmer's delight, the seed always found some good soil. Where it would penetrate and it would germinate and it would take root and it would grow deep and it'd be fruitful. He said some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. That's the parable. That's the earthly story. People would have understood the earthly story. But how many know that Jesus didn't tell earthly stories just to tell earthly stories? His earthly stories were told to make a spiritual point. So my question is, what's the spiritual point? Well, that's why the disciples came to him in verse 10. Here's what the disciples knew. Jesus is on to something more than just an agricultural lesson. We need to see what's going on here. And so, so look, look how Jesus responded to their question in verse 10. And when he was alone, they that are about him with the 12 asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. And here's why. That seeing they may see and not perceive. 
and hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. So when Jesus answers his disciples, he draws from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, if you, if you study it, this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 9. And I want, I want you to explain, I want to explain to you what Jesus is getting across here. Remember, I told you that Jesus understood the hearts of the multitudes that came after him. Follow me here. They weren't in it for the gospel message. They were in it for the entertainment. These are the kind of people that didn't come to hear a sermon. They came to church to get what they wanted from Jesus and leave. They weren't disciples for the most part. They were consumers. So Jesus explains that he uses parables not necessarily as illustrations to make his spiritual truth easier to understand. I think we explain parables that way a lot. Like Jesus used them as simply illustrations or analogies or, or metaphors. But in this case, he used a parable as a riddle. A riddle that you have to work to understand. And you can't understand a riddle until you understand the key to the riddle. Now follow this. The same is true for parables. I put it like this. A parable was like a doorway. And Jesus would tell them a story to get them to the door. But he wouldn't give them the key to get in the door. He wouldn't give them the answer to the riddle until they searched for it. That's why he rarely explained his parables to the multitudes. He wanted to conceal a measure of the truth so as to reveal who in the crowds really wanted to know the truth. And for those that wanted to know the truth, they would do exactly what the disciples just did. They would stick around and ask for it. Then Jesus would give them the key and they would walk through the doorway of truth and be changed. Those that weren't interested in the truth would treat Jesus' parable as an interesting story and go home. They would get to the doorway of truth, but never walk through because they weren't interested. They didn't have a heart to truly hear. Such as the farmer from Galilee who would have listened to Jesus on this day. He would have heard the parable of Jesus and he would have said, wow, what a lesson. I need to be more careful throwing out my seed. I need to make sure I'm throwing it out on good soil. And he would have went home. A politician standing next to him would have been in the crowd. He would have listened to Jesus' parable and then he would have said, man, I like this man. He's telling me I need to begin a farm education program and teach young men how to cast seed more effectively. This is going to be a big boost to me in my re-election campaign. Then he'd go home. Next to him, there'd be a newspaper reporter. He would have listened to Jesus' parable and say, man, this is great. There is a big story here. And it's about the bird problem. How it's affecting our farming community. Man, I'm going to strike gold with this story. Next to him, there was a salesman. Of course, he was selling farming supplies. He says, man, Jesus has helped me with my fertilizer sales. These poor farmers are only getting a fourth of their seed to grow. They need my help, man. I can sell them just the right product. My commission is going to go through the roof this month. And he'd go home. You see, without the key, none of them can understand the spiritual truth of the parable. And so many of these people would stand at the door, hear the parable, but never walk through to the other side of spiritual truth because their hearts were too hard. Their hearts were too carnal to be curious and desirous and thirsty for what mattered most. But not real disciples. Not real followers. Real followers go to church to hear the word. Real followers gather with God's people to be exposed to spiritual truth and apply it to their lives. And so the disciples, they stuck around. And they said, Jesus, tell us what you mean by that. 
We're at the door. But we want the key. The farmer, he's already walked away. The politician, he's already walked away. And the news reporter, he's already walked away. But God, we want to follow you. And in order to follow you, we need the spiritual truth. And he gave him the key to the parable in one verse. Verse 14. The sower soweth the word. The key to unlocking the, the spiritual truth of this parable is understanding what the seed represents. Are you studying with me? The seed represents the word of God. That means the sower, whoever is teaching or preaching the word of God, is actually casting out seed. Just like the farmer that reaches in his bag and disperses seed onto the soil, the preacher or the teacher of the word of God digs into his Bible and disperses the seed of spiritual truth. That's what I'm doing right now. That's why Peter calls the word of God an incorruptible seed. He said being born again, not a corruptible seed but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So Jesus says, here's what you need to understand. The seed is the word of God. Now notice in our text, after Jesus explains the key of the parable, he applies it to his disciples by teaching them a lesson about the soil. So, so he teaches them that when the word of God is sown, it falls on four types of soil. There, there's the wayside soil. There's the stony soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And don't miss this next statement. The condition of the soil determines the fruitfulness of the seed. Of course, the spiritual truth is understood deeper when you understand that the soil represents our hearts as we hear the word of God. And just like the condition of the earthly soil determines the fruitfulness of an earthly seed. Watch here, church. The condition of our hearts at the time of hearing the word of God determines how much fruit the word of God will bear in our lives. In a statement, the condition of your heart determines the fruitfulness of your life. That's the spiritual truth. And so Jesus takes the rest of the time with his disciples to evaluate four different types of soil or hearts. Now you've got to notice this. Jesus didn't take time to evaluate the sower. And he didn't take time to evaluate the seed. And here's why. A lack of fruit is never the sower's fault. And a lack of fruit is not the seed's fault. It's the soil's fault. Are you hearing me today? The lack of fruitfulness in your life is not the preacher's fault. Now, I do believe with all my heart that every preacher ought to be the best preacher they can be. They ought to read, they ought to study, they ought to have mentors, they ought to listen to other preachers. They, they ought to put everything they can into the messages they prepare for the people God's called them to, to, to pastor. But hear me, the fruitlessness of your life is not determined by how well I preach. Also, your lack of fruit is never the seed's fault. What is the seed? The Word of God. What do you know about the Word of God? It liveth and abideth forever. It's an incorruptible seed. It will not wither or fade. It will never return void. It is quick and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword. The Word of God, hear me today, is a hammer that breaks the hard heart. It's a fire that melts the prideful heart. It's a water that quenches the thirsty heart. It's bread that feeds the hungry heart. It's alive. It never expires. It's never wrong. It never wears out. And it's never the problem. Here's the problem with your lack of fruitfulness. Your heart. At the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. 
And so Jesus gets right to the heart of the problem. And he teaches us three types of fruitless hearts. And he teaches us about the fruitful heart. And here's the first type of fruitless heart in verse 15, the hard heart. He likens this to wayside soil in verse 15. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the person with, with the hard heart is the person who over time has become callous to the word of God and they're simply unresponsive to it. So just like the wayside or the walking path, somebody has walked long enough on, on, on clay and dirt that it hardens and any seed that falls on that path has no chance to penetrate the soil and so it's stolen by the birds. Listen, when we have a hard heart, the word of God can't penetrate and germinate and produce fruit. Instead, Satan comes along almost immediately upon you hearing the word of God, even this morning. And he, like a bird, is roaming through this auditorium trying to snatch away that seed. And if you have a hard heart, you leave it really easy for the devil to just come and pick that seed off. It makes no impact. You're unfruitful between now and next Sunday. Do you know that, that every time the word of God is preached, there is literally a spiritual battle going on? That, that Satan is attacking our hearts and he's attempting to steal away the seed that is being planted before it ever has time to penetrate the soil of your heart and produce any meaningful fruit in your life. I found that sometimes Satan does this by hardening our hearts before we even get to church. I mean, maybe you even find yourself here today only because you felt like you had to be here, but inside you couldn't care less. If you're honest, the hypocrisy of Christians has hardened you. And broken relationships have hardened you. And skepticism has hardened you. And your own rebellion toward anything God-related has hardened you. And you might come into church today having already erected these barriers over your heart to where anything I say or any other Christian says to you cannot penetrate. Friend, listen to me. That's the devil working in your life. Sometimes Satan will cause our hearts to be unresponsive while we're in the service and hearing the word. It's called distractions. It's amazing how crafty the devil is with distracting our hearts from the Word. Sometimes it's a microphone that goes crazy. Sometimes it's a computer problem. Sometimes it's a cute but crying baby. Sometimes it's a cell phone you forget to turn off. Sometimes it's people walking in and out. Sometimes it's a brother just catching up on his sleep. It could be the most innocent of things that Satan uses to get us distracted because he will do anything he can to find opportunities to swoop into this place even this morning as I speak and steal that word that is being planted in your heart. Let, let me say this to our church family. Don't be a distraction. Doesn't mean you're Satan when you're a distraction. You're just being used by him. Be careful about that. But it's not just Satan that, would, that we have to contend with when we hear the word. There's another kind of fruitless heart. I'll call it the superficial heart. He likens this under the stony soil. Look at verse 16 and 17. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. Now look up here. Let's study this for a moment. The superficial heart appears to be receptive, glad, joyful, Bring on the word of God. Amen, preacher. When's the invitation time coming? I'm headed down to the altar. Soft at first. And Jesus uses this stony soil to illustrate this. 
So there's this thin layer of good soil, enough to take on the seed. But there's this layer of rocks underneath that don't allow the seed to take root. So at first the seed takes kind of a shallow root and it grows quickly. But when the sun shines upon it in the heat of the summer or the storms come, the plant isn't strong enough below the ground to survive above the ground. Did you know that there are people who when they hear the word of God, respond to it eagerly, but superficially? That means they might be emotional and appear to be sincere. And even after their initial decision, it seems as though there's fruit coming out really fast. But it's not too long before their decision and their commitment is proven to be false. When after difficulty comes their way, after the new wears off, they give up and walk away from the Lord or the commitment they made to the Lord. No, it happens all the time. It happens with salvation. People hear a gospel message. They get emotionally stirred and they should. They come and they pray a prayer and they should. But it's not long before they're back to doing life the way they've always done it because when they got saved, they were thinking God would change everything in their life. That there's never any fruitfulness in their life beyond salvation, which reveals that the word of God never truly took root inside their hearts. Their salvation was more superficial than sincere. It happens a lot when people go through, through these phases of spirituality in their life. You get what I'm saying? They get this shot of motivation around Easter time to come to church. Around Christmas time to come to church. Shot of motivation because something happens in their life that kind of shakes them and wakes them up. And the first thing they think is, I got to get back in church. And so they come back and superficially start doing the right thing for a while. But a few weeks later, they're, they're gone. And then something else shakes them and they're back in church. And they're superficially doing the right things. But then they're gone. And they get back on the right path and they're gone. What's happening? The word of God never takes root. It leaves them shallow and immature and inconsistent. For this happens when church members come faithfully and love the preaching and respond to the preaching and even compliment the preaching. Good sermon, preacher. But then two hours goes by and the emotion is worn off and the sermon is totally forgotten. And it's not long before I'm counseling them on the very thing I literally just preached about and they complimented. Now, these are superficial Christians who love energetic preaching and passionate preaching and pointed preaching. It fires them up. It keeps them awake. It just never changes them. If you only like a sermon, but you don't live a sermon, you're superficial today. And notice what Jesus said reveals a superficial heart. He said difficulty, tribulation, persecution. In other words, when you're following Christ costs you, when it gets hard, that's when your heart will be revealed the most. When you lose relationships for following Christ, you'll know whether or not your commitment was superficial or sincere. When you go through an unexpected setback in your finances or in your job or in your relationships or in your health, you'll know whether or not your commitment to the Lord was superficial or sincere based on your response to the difficulties of life. That If they blow you over, if they set you back to the point where you stop following Christ altogether. Listen, friend, the word of God has never truly taken root in your heart. It's only at a surface level with you. Jesus teaches about one more type of fruitless heart. The worldly heart. He says it's like thorny soil in verse 18 and 19. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Now this kind of soil isn't hard to picture because it happens in our yards every summer if we're not careful. 
During the spring, the, the, the mornings are cool, the evenings are cool still. If you have fescue grass, that cold weather grass, it begins to grow and it's beautiful. It's not hard to keep green, really. But when the summer comes and the sun is shining and the temperatures are really warm, weeds begin to grow. And if you don't use any pre-emergent during the spring, this is a free lawn lesson, and you don't fertilize, kill the weeds in the summer on a regular basis, your fescue will be overrun with weeds. It's so simple. Jesus said our hearts are the same way. We have to guard our hearts from being overrun with what he calls the weeds of the world. What are those? The cares of the world, the riches of the world, and the desires of the world. Let me be clear today. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with riches. But if we aren't careful, money will become a bigger deal to us than taking in the word of God. And so when we come to church on Sunday, we'll constantly be thinking of how we're going to make more money this week, how we're going to manage our money this week, how we're going to spend our money this week. And the seed of the word of God that is being planted in your heart at 1045 on Sunday morning, it won't grow because the love for money is choking it out. I found that an inordinate love for money can keep us from hearing the word of God altogether. Because we fall so in love with money that we have to work extra in order to make the kind of money we want to make. So we start missing more and more church for more and more work. And the seed doesn't even have a chance to be planted in your heart in the first place. He said the cares of this world choke out the word. What are the cares? Things like busyness and worry and stress and burdens and fatigue and bitterness and discouragement. It, listen, it's when we come to church and we're so overwhelmed with the stress of our lives that we can't even Focus during the preaching because we can't get what we're going through off of our mind. It's when we come to church after, after going so hard on Friday and going so hard on Saturday. And that's an every weekend thing for us. Friday and Saturday are 150 miles an hour. So then we don't have energy to, to take in the word like we should. It's when, you, it's when you come to church and right when you walk in, God help us, you see that church member. The one that annoys you. The one that has hurt you, the one that has crossed somebody you love. And the whole time the word of God is trying to penetrate your heart during the preaching. It can't because you're so full of frustration and anger and resentment and, and annoyance towards that person. Hey, if we're not careful, we will slowly develop this worldly heart. It should be a heart full of green, healthy fescue grass. And some of you have like, Weeds all over. And if you're like me, in a couple yards that I've had, I'm getting better now. But I was kind of content with a yard of weeds. Because so long as I kept it short, it looked like grass from a distance. <laughs> and some people come to church. And from the pulpit, it looks like fescue grass. From across the auditorium, it looks like fescue grass. When people see you sing in the choir, man, you look like a yard full of fescue grass. But if you're real honest, your heart's so worldly, so overrun with weeds, that you have to struggle to even want to be here. Because you've been overrun with the things of this world. Why is church so hard for me sometimes? Because you're worldly. Straight up. You're worldly. You're hanging on to the world like this. And when, and when you come to get some of God, you got nothing. You got nothing. He talks about the fruitless hearts. Then he talks about the fruitful heart. That's how he ends the parable. 
How he ends the explanation. And I'm going to call it the receptive heart. It's the good soil. Look at verse 20 and we'll be done. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some in 100. So the receptive heart is just like the other three hearts in that it hears the word. But here's where it's different. It receives it. It accepts it. It welcomes it. It absorbs it. It applies it. In fact, I'll just put it this way to help you understand the difference between the receptive heart and the other three fruitless hearts. It's, it's the exact opposite of the other three. Meaning the receptive heart is not hard, it's soft. The receptive heart doesn't have its mind made up before the preacher starts preaching. It doesn't get defensive, it stays humble and teachable. It doesn't get so used to the preaching that it becomes indifferent to the preaching. To the receptive heart, listen church, every sermon's an opportunity to grow. Every sermon's an opportunity to learn. Every sermon's an opportunity to be transformed. The receptive heart's not superficial, it's not shallow, it's deep. It's cultivated in a way that allows the seed to take deep root. Yes, a receptive heart gets emotional and it gets stirred and it gets excited. It just doesn't stop there. A receptive heart continues to cultivate, cultivate what they've heard after they leave the church. Are you hearing me? They read the Word of God through the week at their home. They memorize the Word. They meditate on the Word. They talk about the Word with others. The, the seed is planted on Sunday, but they water and fertilize it on Monday. Then when the storm of difficulty comes and the winds of uncertainty blow in their life, they have a root system deep enough that they can handle it. The receptive heart's not worldly. It's guarded. It's protected. It's kept holy. Before church on Sunday, the receptive heart is praying out the weeds of the world on Saturday. Because they understand that Sunday worship's a Saturday decision. You don't live carnally on Saturday, come plop your rear end in the seat on Sunday morning and say, bless me, Lord. The receptive heart is constantly weeding out their life. Everything from cutting out unhealthy relationships to eliminating sinful influences to forsaking worldly habits to reprioritizing their schedules all for the sake of keeping their heart open and soft and ready to receive the word. When I think of reception, here's what I think of. The old TVs with the antennas. Have those? Somebody put foil on those bad boys. And you would adjust those until you could just get the right kind of station to come in. And sometimes it was one channel or two or three, but it, it took just the right tuning. And you remember that? Just the right adjustments. And, and that's what we've got to do if we want to keep a receptive heart. We keep making adjustments every day. We keep making adjustments every week so that when we hear the word of God, we're perfectly tuned in to receive it. If you stop making adjustments to the attendance of your heart, you won't be ready to hear the word. Question. How do we know if we have a receptive heart? How do we know? Well, Jesus doesn't leave it a mystery. He says, you know you have a receptive heart if you have a fruitful life. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, don't make this complicated. What is fruit? In the farming world, fruit is the harvest. Fruit is the visible result, result of what was planted in good soil. Yes. Spiritually speaking, listen to me, church. Fruit is the visible result of truly receiving the word. Fruit is the visible evidence that you just didn't hear the word, but that you applied the word of God in your daily life. Let me make it plain. You're fruitful when you hear a message about how to be the right kind of spouse. Then you go home and make the necessary changes to be the right kind of spouse. 
You're not fruitful because you heard a message about being the right kind of spouse. You're fruitful because the message caused you to be the right kind of spouse. It's not complicated. You're fruitful when you're challenged to take the next growth step in a message. And then you pray about it, think about it, strategize for it, and take the next growth step. You're fruitful when you hear a message on financial stewardship. Then you go home, start some new financial habits, and come back the next Sunday and start tithing. You're fruitful when you hear a message about bitterness toward another person. Then you leave church and you don't stay bitter. You set up a meeting with that other brother or sister in Christ to reconcile that relationship. Fruit is simply the visible result of having truly received the Word. It's the proof that the seed of the Word of God, listen to me, did not fall on a hard heart. It didn't fall on a superficial heart. It didn't fall on a worldly heart. It found a good place in the soil of a receptive heart. If there are more times than not that you hear the word, but you don't do it, then you don't have a receptive heart. You're like the multitude that gather to hear a good story. They're up at the door, but they just don't have a heart hungry enough to get to the next level of spiritual truth. So they go home and hear me. American Christianity is made up of people, multitudes that flock to churches on Sunday morning. And they love the music. So long as the preacher's energetic, I like it. But they don't ever ask for the key. And they walk away unchanged week after week after week after week. And here's what makes them feel good about themselves. I went to church. I'm sorry, I'm preaching right where we're at today. But this is the truth, my friend. If you want to go to the next level as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to have a heart that is hungry. And thirsty for the word. Yeah. The entire parable is meant to bring us to this question right here. What kind of heart do you have? A hard heart? A superficial heart? A worldly heart? A receptive heart? The condition of your heart determines the fruitfulness of your life. Four statements. Number one. Attend every preaching service possible. Doesn't it just make sense? The more, you, more opportunities you give for the farmer to cast seed, the more potential for that seed to take root. The more you go, the more you'll grow. Give yourself the best chance to grow. Get here on Sunday night. Get here on Wednesday night. Be faithful. Put the next statement up there. Join a connection group. Why? Because next Sunday we will spend 30 minutes or more talking about this message. You know what we're doing? We're fertilizing the seed. We're watering the seed. I'm planting it right now. We're going we're gonna to do some water next Sunday. Join a connection group. Here's the next statement. Prepare for Sunday worship on Saturday night. Practical. I don't want to be elementary, but I just want to be practical. Go to bed a little earlier. Don't, don't use Saturday night as only a recreational night. And then come to church, not prepared, not ready. On Sunday morning when you wake up, put in some Christian music. Put in some Christian music. Take about five, ten minutes just to pray and talk to the Lord. Read a psalm. Read a proverb. Read a chapter from the Word. Read a devotional book. The devil is going to try everything he, he can do to get you all messed up before you get here on Sunday. Number four, talk on Sunday night about what you heard at church. If you have kids, this should be your tradition on Sunday night before you go to bed. What was your favorite part about church today? 
If you have a spouse, this is what you, your discussion before you go to bed that night should be, what did God speak to your heart about today? What is that doing? It's cultivating the Word. It's throwing some fertilizer on the Word. You're giving yourself the best chance. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. amen. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye.